wind and waves be still. Cast out demons. Bid the empty soul be filled. Now there's breakthrough. Now there's freedom in your name. You gave us power and the keys to do the same. Oh, redemption. Made a fuser's drop his soul. Showed us mercy with your mighty miracles. Now there's breakthrough. Now 
Jesus is in this room here right now, here right now, making this place I stand, holy ground, holy ground. Your spirit moves and breathes all around, all around, all good and perfect things going down, going down. If all of the heavens are singing along with the saints and the elders, the glorious song and the praises they sing never sing together. Then I'll stay here forever singing. Holy, holy, holy Lord. God Almighty, Oh, yeah. 
Would you like to give the Lord a clap offering of praise? And just as you remain standing before you're seated, let's hear the reading of the word today. Special day in that we get to ordain Deacon Bob. I'm looking forward to this time to set him apart for the diaconate of the church. Our scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy, the third chapter, verses 8 through 16. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is a New Testament creed. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up into glory and his name is Jesus his name is Jesus yes give the Lord a clap offering the Lord bless you you may be seated in his presence today following following our ordination this morning I'm going to come back and say a word about our pastor and family and honor them. Want to say a special thanks to Brother Victor for picking Karen and I up at the airport today and uh, he guide us here safely and we appreciate that. And Shania, I remember when I was your pastor in Harvest and um, she was my girlfriend then. Uh, I'm not so sure about now. I think it's Zach, is it? 
I'm not so sure about it now, Zach, but um, she was my girlfriend when she was really, really young. Uh, I want to share with you this morning about the biblical role of a deacon. It's my honor this morning and privilege to join you in celebrating the ordination of Deacon Bob. In our movement, the Church of God of Prophecy, candidates to the diaconate must serve home of a one year in trial phase prior to their ordination. And so today, as the Encounter Church, we come to ordain to the diaconate Brother Bob, and it is incumbent upon us as a body of believers to examine the biblical information and the biblical role of a deacon in the local church. After all, it is the Bible, the New Testament in particular, that defines and outlines this gift of deacons to the body of Christ. Alexander Strzok in his book writes, the New Testament deacon points out that the deacon's ministry is one that no Christ-centered New Testament church can ever afford to neglect. The word deacon, it actually literally means in the original, through the dust. Through the dust. It gives us a word picture and illustrates well that deacons are servants. In fact, the word deacon is probably best translated as a servant or a waiter. This role, this function of servanthood is illustrated repeatedly throughout the New Testament. It is used of a man named Epaphras who assisted the Apostle Paul in ministry. Colossians 1 and 7, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. That word in the original is the word we get deacon from. Who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. The same is said in this same letter in Colossians 4 and 7 of Tychicus, he will tell you news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant or deacon in the Lord. In fact, throughout the New Testament, this word servant or deacon is used over and over for those who are part of the formalized deaconate and others who simply serve the interest of the body of Christ. It's commonly believed that the role or the function of the biblical deacon can be traced back to a conflict that arose in the Jerusalem church. The Bible says in Acts the chapter 6 that a, a conflict, a complaint arose among the Hebrews and the Hellenists at the Jerusalem were neglected in the daily distribution. And so verse 2 says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, and we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And they did so in the Jerusalem church. And the Bible says, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples were multiplied in Jerusalem. This conflict of a potential schismatic proportion erupted among the growing Jerusalem church and the accusation came from Hellenist Jews against Hebraic Jews. It was an issue ethnicity. The Hellenists had uh, were, were Jews that had Greek ways about them. They had uh, come back from the Babylonian and when they came back, they had come back with their culture of Greek ways and the Hellenists accused the Hebraics neglecting the widows of the church for the food distribution and perhaps financial assistance that they needed. And it appears that the feelings of neglect had become so pronounced that it had the potential of dividing the church along ethnic lines. The likelihood of conflict loomed on the horizon as the debate and disagreement struck at the cohesiveness of the church. Conflict, I believe, brings with it the opportunity for correction and growth if the conflict is appropriately handled. If it's not appropriately addressed, then it will And so the apostles, the leaders, the pastors of the Jerusalem church realized that the issue was paramount. That they needed to solve the issue but that they could not take themselves away from their time of prayer and from ministry of the word. So they said, look in the congregation and find seven men that have a good reputation, that are full of wisdom, that have uh, the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and we will allow these men to deal with this issue. I don't know if that's the Lord speaking to us in that or not. The need of the widows was urgent. There was no denial of this fact. However, if the apostles, they said, if we leave what is important to take care of what is urgent, then we will not be able to give our time to the ministry of the word. Leadership issues demand that we don't neglect the important things while we also address the urgent. But one man or one group, small group of pastoral leadership cannot do it all by themselves in a growing church. That's why we have deacons. Deacons who will serve. And the Bible says that when they solved the issue, that the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. 
What actually happened was a revival occurred because they kept preaching the word and meeting the needs of the people by bringing along the seven men who could wait on tables. You see, my friend, not everyone stands in a pulpit. Not everyone takes center stage. Some of the most important work is not done here. It's done behind the scenes. Men and women will up the towel of servanthood and will say to the Lord and will say to their leaders, you preach the word and I will serve where it is important. Where it is important. What does this team approach look like? Serving needs. Do you know that in a growing church, the pastor cannot touch everyone personally? Of course, that's why some of us just want small churches. But in a growing church, a pastor cannot necessarily touch everyone personally. That's why we need deacons. That's why James says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. The elders of the church are not just the people who stand in the pulpit. They're the people who serve as well. Deacon Bob is an elder of this church. And yes, it is appropriate at time to call the pastor, but it's also an appropriate time to call the elders the deacons and the pastor doesn't need to have to go to every hospital visit or nursing home visit or do all of the anointing of the sick. That's the job of the deacon as well. Amen. Amen. Now, I've been doing this long enough. I know how to give myself amens if nobody else does. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate it. So when we look at the qualifications of a deacon, Paul explicitly points out what these prerequisites are. First, he says that a deacon must be a person of integrity. A person of integrity. Wow, that's important in the society that in today. A person of integrity. Notice verse 8 that we read in 1 Timothy 3. Likewise, deacons must be grave. That's an old King James Version uh, phrase, and it's an ancient phrase. It's not one that we hear a lot today. Grave is not that a deacon must be one foot in the grave and the other about to go. It means that he must be a person of integrity, a person who is sincere. And so Paul begins to unpack what that looks like, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now, when I get around deacons, this is their favorite verse because they don't talk about not being double-tongued or not given to filthy lucre. They just see that phrase, not given to much wine. 
they, they like that phrase, not, not given to much wine. Well, what does that mean? The reality of it means is that they don't involve themselves in addictive behaviors. They don't involve themselves in addictive behaviors. Not just wine, but other things that could become addictive. This would not only include the consumption of alcohol, but other addictive substances. In fact, the scriptures tell us what we're supposed to be addicted to. In 1 Corinthians 16 and 15, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Ashea, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of Christ. That's the life of a deacon. Deacons, then, are to be men of personal integrity, of upright character. They're to be men of dignity, men worthy of respect, sincere, not shifty and double talkers. They're not to be deceitful, but they are to be serious. This is what that verse means. The implication then is that a deacon must not be involved in hypocrisy nor duplicity. A deacon must not be involved in hypocrisy nor duplicity. Now, what is hypocrisy? Well, I'm so glad you asked me. Hypocrisy is that they live differing lifestyles of morality depending on who or what crowd they're around. The, the word hypocrites, from where we get the word hypocrite, actually means to be a play actor. In first century, when the New Testament was written, and Hippocrates was an actor. Actors would play sometimes two or three different roles, and they would just change masks on the stage. So one time they would play one person or one role, and another scene they would come out in a different mask and play. And what the scripture is telling us is, is that men of God do not wear mask and play the role of the hypocrite. They're sincere. Duplicitous means that they're not double-tongued. They don't have a divided tongue. The apostle says that deacons do not involve themselves in conversations that indicates one way of thinking around one group of people, but something else around another group. The vice of duplicity, according to Timothy Johnson, in speech is invariably disruptive within communities, but it is particularly destructive when practiced by those whose functions place them in the position of trusted go-betweens, as the office of diakonos apparently did. In other words, deacons do not breed gossip. So if you've got something bad to say about your pastor, don't go to Deacon Bob. Because Deacon Bob will stop it dead in its tracks. Amen. 
Are we still, are we still together this morning? It follows the premise taught by Jesus himself when he said in Matthew 12 and 37, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so these qualifications are not something that one works to obtain once being appointed to the office of a deacon, but they are prerequisite. They must be possessed prior to be considered as a deacon. And they are character qualities that we're going to have. And so first, a deacon should be a person of integrity. Secondly, the apostle says that a deacon is to live an exemplary spiritual life. A deacon is to live an exemplary spiritual life. Listen to verse 9. They must hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must hold the deep words of faith, the deep truths of the faith, with a clear conscience. Deacons are to know the truth of God's word and stand unapologetically upon the principles of God's word. Paul says they must hold the deep truths of the faith. Once again, there had been an infiltration of false teachers in the faith community in Ephesus. And Paul had predicted that there would be a future time and he's, when he met with the elders at Ephesus that difficulty and false teaching would come to the church. He says in Acts 20 and verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from among your own number will arise Men who will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So he said, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see... When Paul is writing to Timothy, he's already identified, because Timothy is now the pastor at Ephesus. He has already identified that there, was, there were two men by the name of Hymenus and Philetus that were teaching heresy, that were teaching that the resurrection of the saints had already occurred. And so Paul points that out, and Paul says that not only is it the pastor's responsibility to stand for the deep truths of the faith and to preach the word of faith. But when the pastor preaches the deep truths of faith, it is the deacon's responsibility to stand shoulder to shoulder with the pastor and to say, in this church, we accept the Bible as the word of God. When called upon to assist the pastor in standing against unbiblical teaching, Paul reminds the deacon that they are to do that as well. In fact, Paul tells Timothy that as the bishop of the church at Ephesus in 2 Timothy 4, 2-4, he is to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. He says the time will come when people will not endure 
sound doctrine. I love the way that Paul writes this. He says, Timothy, you are to preach the word in season and you're to preach the word out of season. Do you know that there are times when the word preached is accepted and it's in season? But there are other times, like the United States in 2022, when the word preached is out of season. It does not have favor generally in society. And Paul said to Timothy, you're to preach the word when it is not in favor just like you would when it is in favor. That's what he actually means here. I'm a hunter. Don't tell PETA, but I really could care less. <laughs> I, I'm a hunter. I love deer hunt. I love the wild turkey hunt. When it is in season to do so, you could find me very easily on the farm in my hunter's orange in November in a tree stand. You could find me camouflaged from head to toe in April and May in a camouflaged turkey blind. But you won't find me like that when it's not in season. You understand what I'm saying? In January, it's not in season to turkey hunt. In July, it is not in season to deer hunt. So you won't find me in the woods, but what Paul is saying, he says, I don't care if it is out of season to preach the word. You preach the word when it is out of season, just like you would when it's in season. And the deacon is to stand shoulder to shoulder with the man and the woman of God who is preaching and teaching the word and say, we will accept the word of God in this church. We will contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So deacons must unequivocally declare that Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the only way of salvation. I, I understand that that's not in season today. I understand that in a pluralistic and postmodernistic society that it is not socially or politically or media-wise accepted to say Jesus and Jesus alone. But my friend, it is the truth of God's And as Bible-believing church, we must declare it. Man, deacons must be students of the word. They must be readers of the word. They must declare that the Bible is indeed the very word of God, the inspired word of God. We must hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Thirdly, thirdly, a deacon must engage in Christian servanthood. We've already talked about 
that the very word deacon means servant. But verse 10 says, let them be proved and then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. This office of the deacon is one of servant leader. One of being a servant leader. In other words, you lead because you serve. Leadership is not something that's just positional. Leadership is not something that is just visual. It is something that is meeting the needs of other people and serving them. And so a deacon does not use his office for his own personal agenda, but he does so. He uses the office by serving others. By serving others. Fourthly, fourthly, a deacon must model moral purity. Must model moral purity. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children as well. When Paul writes this qualification of a deacon, he literally writes that a deacon must be a one-woman man. That's pretty profound. A deacon must be a one-woman man. I've been married to the same woman for 36 and a half years. And she's the only woman that I can handle. And I can't handle her. You understand what I'm saying? A one-woman man. That qualification is the same for a bishop. God's best for us is one man for one woman for life. I understand divorce and family separation sometimes occur. And it has taken its toll upon society and the church. But those who lead and those who serve should, in fact, be held to a high standard. And let me just say here this morning that you can be physically present living in the same house but emotionally divorced. Bishops and deacons, according to this passage, are to be consistently working on their marriage. I will go one step further. That every man and woman of God, should be consistently, consistently working on your marriage. Yeah, amen. The Bible says, Peter said, for husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Now that's pretty profound, isn't it? There's a couple, three places in the scriptures where it says that our prayers can be hindered. Number one is if there's unconfessed sin in our lives. Second way is that if there's spiritual warfare going on in the heavenlies. We see that in Daniel. But there's a third way that our prayers can be hindered, and this goes to you married men out there. 
or you who are thinking about doing it. That if I don't live with my wife in an understanding way, my prayer life gets hindered. Now, I told you all ago, I've been married to that woman for 36 and a half years. I know I don't look, I know she doesn't look like she's been married to me that long. But we've been married 36 and a half years. And I am a student of Karen. I, I study her. I live with her. But she still blows my mind. After 36 and a half years, I still don't understand her completely. I mean, Pastor said I was, I'm working, hopefully almost finished with this second doctorate. But when you consider that it takes about five years to get a PhD, I've got Karen Harper. I mean, I ought to be able to write a whole series of volumes on her. Yesterday, we were going to meet my son and go to dinner with him. And we were just cat mouse playing back and forth. And, I, and she said something. I said, you're just so persnickety. And she said, persnickety? And I said, yeah, you're just so persnickety. And so, what does she do? She pulls out her phone, and she looks up the word persnickety. <laughs> and she starts reading the definition, and she says, oh, no, no, no. I'm not persnickety. You're persnickety. <laughs> I should have seen it coming. And then she takes my own psychotherapist training and she turns it against me. She said, you're just projecting on me. <laughs> the audacity for her to do that. After 36 and a half years, I ought to understand her, but still she amazes me. Still she blows my mind. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. Study your wife, but you will never, ever completely figure her out. And I don't say that derogatory. I'm just saying she is wonderfully made. And she is your helpmeet, and you are blessed to have her. And if you don't know that, she will let you know that you are blessed to have her. And she is right. You need to live with her in an understanding way. And this is especially important for leaders in the church. Years ago when I pastored Harvest in... And we had... We had a large group of young married couples that were having babies. And I mean, the church was just growing. And sometimes when I would preach on marriage, I would have everybody that had been married 30 years or above to stand. And then I'd say, okay, if you're married 40 years and above, 
You keep standing, everybody sit. Fifty years and above, you keep standing, everybody sit. There was a couple there that was married for over 60 years. And I would tell my young couples, when you need marriage counseling, don't go to the, and I'm not against marriage counselors. I used to be one. But, but I would say in the dynamic of the church, I can help you save some money. If you want to find out what's going on right, get around people that have been married for 30 and 40 and 50 years and they still love each other and they still like each other. Find out what they're doing. Rub shoulders with them and find out what they're doing that works. Because when you go to other places and you hear this man trash talk about his wife, and that wife trash talk about her husband. It'll just cause you to start trash talking. But get around some godly men and women that love each other. They may not like everything about each other. And they may not fully understand everything about each other. But they're trying to live together in an understanding way. And then I would say, take them out to eat. It's cheaper than... $85 an hour for a psychotherapist. And if you take out somebody that's been married 50 years or older, they get the senior citizen's discount. <laughs> yeah. But Paul says, be a one-woman man. Because we are given to a standard of moral purity, we reject the ideal of polygamy. Because we are one woman men, we reject the teaching that homosexuals can be ordained to the diaconate or the bishopric. Yes, even in today's society, we reject that because of the word. We don't, we don't reject people who are in that sin. We love them, but we don't accept the sin. We accept the individual, but we don't approve the sin. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Being a one-woman man means that we're committed to our wife. We're committed with our eyes. We're committed with our mind. We're committed with our speech. We're committed with our presence. Commitment with our eyes comes from Job 31 and 1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? With our mind is Matthew 5 and 28. But I say to you that whosoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. With our speech, Proverbs 31 and 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. You don't humiliate your wife in public. Amen. Some of these things that I've said today, we have permissions for those kinds of things. But there are other things that you would not pull out of me with a bride. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. If I'm going to live with her in an understanding way, I'm going to protect her. And that means protecting her with my mouth as well. 
That means, let me go one step further. That means protecting her against my mouth. You understand? Well, I'm having fun today. You may not be, but I am. And then fourth, we're to be committed with our presence. Husbands love wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, I can tell my wife all day long that I love her, but if I never spend time with her. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm working 80 hours a week, Bishop. Sometimes we need to, to spend some time. Finally, a deacon must possess a healthy home life. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Deacons and bishops, anyone engaged in spiritual leadership, must first be spiritual leaders of their home. 1 Timothy 3 and 5 says, If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't storms that come to our family. They do. And the goal is not to have a perfect home because there aren't any. Your family is dysfunctional. My family is dysfunctional. All God's family is dysfunctional. Some are just more dysfunctional than others. <laughs> but if you try to be a perfect home, you will be one of those more dysfunctional families. There aren't any perfect ones. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't have rules and procedures and family meetings and understandings. We need all of that. We need order, certainly not chaos. But there aren't any perfect families. And, and let me just say this, and I'm going to conclude here. Now somebody will say amen. <laughs> See, if you pause long enough, somebody will. I know that Deacon Bob doesn't have any young children at home. Your pastor does. And sometimes when it comes to deacons' kids and pastor's kids, DKs and PKs, we expect them to behave at a standard that we don't expect of anybody else in the local church. While a deacon and a pastor is to have a healthy home, they're not to have a perfect home. I, I mean, I, I grew up in a parsonage. And there were times that people would ask me questions about the church that I had no earthly idea what the answer was. Well, I thought you would know you're Brother Harper's son. 
when I go to my primary care physician, I don't ask her kids what's wrong with me. When I go to my tax accountant, I don't ask her kids, can you do my returns? Or do you know why line 11 says this? When I go to my attorney, I don't ask his children, can you give me legal advice for this? You understand what I'm saying? We just need to let kids of our leaders blend in and be kids just like everybody else in our church. And deacons can help in that process. Well, we have come now to the ordination ceremony. Deacon Bob, if you would come, and uh, I'd like for you to come up here on the stage, if you would. Yeah. Isn't he looking sharp today? <laughs> well, you um, you bring character to that seat. We acknowledge Mary, his beloved wife and family. I met some of his daughters earlier and other. We acknowledge you, thank you, for lending your husband, your father, your friend to this encounter church and to the service of the Most High God be a deacon in this church. Deacon Jovanowski, I charge you before God, your family, and the church to use the office of a deacon with integrity, being I charge you to be obedient to the biblical principles of servant leadership through personal dedication and self-discipline, thereby being an example to those whom you will serve and lead. I charge you with the biblical injunction of Hebrews 13 and 7 that says, Obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Deacon Bob, I'm going to read an ordination cup. There's three parts to this covenant, and of each one, if you'll just say, I do. 
Deacon Bob as a God-called minister of the gospel and by being acknowledged as an ordained deacon, do you now reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and pledge your loyalty to him as your Lord and Savior? And will you strive to show forth his spirit in all your life and ministry? support the Bible rightly divided the New Testament as your rule of faith, practice, government, and discipline. Can Bob, do you reaffirm your determination to be diligent in your study of the Holy Scriptures, prayerful in your attitude towards God, gentle, patient, and faithful in your ministrations to the people, friendly in your relations with other Christians and in your feelings toward all humanity. Amen. Pastor, I know that you're on the keyboard, but if you would join me, we're going to anoint our deacon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Father, it is great, with great pleasure. Man of integrity. A man given to the word man who is and will continue to be a servant, a man who loves his family and will lead his family as he serves this local church. I pray a special anointing upon him. Father, he's already been doing the work of a deacon. It's just now that we formalize that recognition of this body, of this local church, and we lay hands upon him consistent with the New Testament to set apart men who will serve you, who will serve their pastor, who will serve their church and serve their community well. I believe this to be true of Deacon Bob. So, Father, I place him in this position of diaconate, a deacon, a Bible deacon, a New Testament principled deacon. Use him greatly for your glory, I pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, you are a ordained deacon in the church of God. Be thou faithful unto death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let it be done. Amen. Amen.
Deacon Bob, this is your certificate of ordination. Church of God of Prophecy with our headquarters in Cleveland, Tennessee. And as the encounter, Church of God of Prophecy here at Royal Oak, Michigan, endorsed by myself and your pastor. Congratulations, my friend. Give it up for the deacon. Give it up for the deacon. When I received the announcement of this occasion taking place, I began to write a, I said, no doubt they will ask me to, you know, say a little speech. And it, I ended up kept writing and writing and writing. And before you know it, I had several pages. And thank God I received a word from the pastor. He said, the bishop will be speaking, so make sure we have to say, whatever you have to say, make it short. <laughs> and so. Because bishops are long-winded. <laughs> and so. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> is uh, really racing right now. I applied, I mean, I first confronted or approached Brother uh, Everett Holloway. And this was 12 years ago. As a matter of fact, I messaged him to make sure what, uh, how long his tenure was here at the Royal Oak Church uh, as a pastor. And I counted close to 12 years since I uh, approached him regarding the office of the deacon. And since then, uh, there's been four or five pastors come and go. And, uh, you know, the I'll, I'll take any kind of criticism <laughs> you can offer, but one thing you cannot say to me is that I lack patience. <laughs> Twelve years later, finally. <laughs> Amen? And just let me say this. my uh, Almost my entire Christian life Ever since I read the scripture, it became my model. I am not ashamed. Romans 1.16. Yes, yes. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Give God a hand clap of praise in the place. Can you give God a praise for the word from our bishop? A true word. 
center. Deacon Bob is a keeper. He is. He's a keeper. As he walks with the pastor, you follow their leadership. I'd like to ask Sister Barry to join us on the platform. I appreciate your pastor and wife. I appreciate their faithfulness and what God has done through them. And pastor, I just uh, want to give you a book. I believe leaders are readers. This is a book. <laughs> he knows. He's experienced it. This is a book. Um, entitled Pastoral Leadership for the Care of Souls. That's what we are as pastors, as shepherds. We care for people's souls. And we'd like to send you and Sister Barry to dinner as well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless you, sis. And these young ladies, these, these very young ladies, I, I don't know if you know this, most of you do, but he has a beautiful, beautiful, did I say beautiful? He has a beautiful, great niece that happens to be my granddaughter. And um, so we are kind of family. I wanted to take this opportunity to also say something about Sister um, Robin. She's been a blessing in my life, and I want to read the scripture for you. Uh, some people pronounce it Philemon. Some people pronounce it Philemon. First chapter, verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my sister, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Amen. Sister Robin, you are one of the strongest women that I know. Yes. You have earned my full respect, and I honor you this morning. You are an awesome woman of God, and I appreciate your, your devotion to your husband, to your family, to your church. It's an example for all of us, and I, I could not even measure up to you this morning, and I appreciate you so much, and I want to thank you for your service to God and to this church and to your family. Would you like to thank her as well? blessed encounter you are blessed love on these people as they lead god bless you pastor pastor is there anything i can do for you pastor is there anything you need pastor you going to see somebody sick let me know when i can come get you that those are the words that i hear from brother bob when i need something we had some things going at the parsonage, and before I knew it, Brother Bob was there. 
a few weeks ago, I got really sick. We were putting in the lifts um, to go down, and we needed some electricity done. And Brother Bob met me like he said he would. And he said, Pastor, I said, Brother Bob, I can't make it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to have to go to the doctor. I'm not feeling well. Most people would just say, well, I, I pray you feel better. But Brother Bob said, Pastor, can I ride with you? Can I go to the doctor with you? And Brother Bob stayed in that room until they put him out and told him he couldn't stay. Brother Bob has been my protector. He's been a friend. He calls me with some of the deepest theological questions I've ever seen in my life. If you want theological exercise, think of Bob. I couldn't think of a more faithful person that loves this church and loves these people. We've been blessed with some good leaders. And Brother Bob, I just want to say, I love you. You've been a blessing to us. And I know you'll continue to be a blessing. I keep coming up with crazy things. Brother Bob, I want a 30-foot stage across here. Pastor, I... I, we can make it happen. Every every board here, he screwed by himself all the way through here. For weeks he worked and he toiled. I come up with crazy ideas. Brother Bob, I see I want to do some things on the stage. I pulled up a picture, said, Brother Bob, can you do this? Brother Bob said, you need this many boards, these many nails. You need coasters and everything. He didn't even pick up a pen and paper. He said, this is exactly what you need to make it happen. When you get it, let me know. And within a few days, it was done. To Brother Bob's family and friends, I want to tell you, you have a treasure to this church. I want to tell you, you have a treasure. And I'm so grateful to be here and to serve with you, Brother Bob. We've got some great people here, but Brother Bob has been a true friend. And I thank, I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I won't prolong the time because we're going to have uh, another ordination service, and we're going to go to that one too. Uh, encounter, if you can, take uh, meet us at Greenfield. Every time we have something, Greenfield is here. They were here for our Good Friday service. If you're not doing anything this evening, uh, let us know, and uh, we want you to go. We'll make a way for you to get there, but we want to show up and show support for them like they always do for us. Honor to Pastor Ernie. Pastor Ernie is in the building. That's that's my buddy. He's here, and he's he's brought a guest and all those. And Honor to Miss Mary. If you just knew how much he loved you, I, I know everything there is to know. He he swears he has the, and I believe it. He says, I have the smartest wife in the world. It will take me uh, all day to do something. He takes out pictures and he says, you see this backyard? You know how long it took her to do this? She's amazing at what she does. And she does these things and she runs these offices. I know so much from the things that, brother, he loves you. If anybody, if any man loves a woman, he loves you. And he really loves you, and, and thank you for lending him to us. As we get ready to go, uh, I want to thank you for all of your support, and we look forward to some wonderful things. If this is your first time, you're family, and you're welcome here. Where we're at a counter church where we, number one, what? Reach the lost, teach the found, and change the world. One life at a time. Let us stand. Let's pray as we go to God. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. I thank you for this special day. I thank you 
for all those who've taken part in it. And Lord God, I ask for a special blessing for for the bishop who's taken out of his time to fly in and make this happen. He and his wife who've given their lives to ministry. God, I ask for a special blessing on them. And I ask for your covering on Brother Bob, this church, and all who serve here, God. I'm honored to be a, a servant in, in this place and in this house. And God, I pray that it grows and grows and continues to be a blessing to this community throughout and beyond. Carry us, God, with your power and with your might. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Now, I declare that you are blessed in the city, that you are blessed in the field. You are blessed when you come and when you go, and that wherever the sole of your foot shall try, shall be blessed in Jesus' name. Hug somebody and tell them you love them today. God bless you.